Welcome to the Water Cooler, everybody. I'm David Brody. Glad you're with us. It's Wednesday, December 23rd, 2020, and we begin with blockbuster comments coming from Newt Gingrich. Wait till you hear what he told us about the Trump legal team's strategy on the election fraud fight. Put it this way, he's not a fan. And speaking of not a fan, President Trump wants Congress to redo the COVID relief bill. So what happens next and what's inside this monstrosity of a bill? But first, to our interview today with Newt Gingrich. He's the author of the new book. It's called Trump and the American Future, Solving the Great Problems of Our Time. We sat down with him earlier today, and while he told us that he's convinced Joe Biden did not win a legitimate election, he also is convinced that at this point, the Trump legal team has not made a convincing argument in the court that matters most, and that is the court of public opinion. He says they have two weeks to figure it out. Here's Newt. Newt Gingrich, always great to see you. Thanks for being back here on the water cooler. I appreciate it. Glad to do it. It's always fun to have a chance to talk about all of the many different things that are going on. Well, and, and let's start with first and foremost, as we make our way to January 6th, after the first of the year, uh, what are the chances in your mind that Trump could still be inaugurated? A lot of people are saying it's just not going to happen. What's your, what's your take on this, Newt? Well, I think that they've got to make a dramatically stronger and clearer case uh, if they're going to have any impact on the sixth. It's possible for one House member and one Senate member to force a suspension for one day, but that doesn't mean they get to, they get anywhere. Uh, the country has to be convinced, and right now it's not, that this election was fraudulent, uh, and that requires, I think, a much clearer ex set of examples and a much clearer, more consistent uh, communication. It, it, it was, the whole effort was hurt very badly when various lawyers would run out and say things that then turned out just not to be true, that they couldn't support them. So I think they've got to think about it. They've got two weeks to develop a case that's so compelling that people go, you know, it really is illegitimate. And if, they, if the country doesn't believe that, then it would be totally irresponsible to try to turn around the result because you couldn't govern the country. I mean, you, you couldn't go in there by some clever device unless the American people, by a very large margin, have come to believe uh, that this election can't be allowed to stand. And they have not succeeded in that yet. Uh, and, and it's not just a question of tweets. I mean, this has to be a serious conversation with the American people that the American people take as factual and as uh, worthy of being deeply troubled. Yeah. And the, the, I, don't, they've achieved, I don't think they've achieved that. New, just so I understand, when you say they, are you referring to the Trump legal team? Who are you referring to, just so I understand? I'm referring primarily to the Trump legal team and the people uh, who are coordinating the effort. I think that uh, mm -hmm. uh, they got off into legalisms, which people don't understand. Uh, they've been, I think, in some 50 court cases uh, without any major victories. Uh, and I think what that does, every time that happens, the average person shrugs and says, well, I guess there's not much there. I mean, the average American is not going to get involved in the minutia. Mm -hmm. So you've got to have, you know you have the elite media hating you. You know you have the Internet giants hating you. You know that you have a huge number of left-wing activists who are opposed to you. So you've got to really build an ironclad case, and you've got to be able to make that case so clearly and with such rock-hard evidence 
uh, that people are genuinely so, deeply troubled. So, so, Newt, I think part of the pushback from obviously the Trump legal team, as you know, would be that they haven't even been able to get to the discovery phase yet. They haven't been. I mean, court just hasn't given them a shot uh, to present the evidence in, in court. Uh, what, what's the reaction to, to that, though? I think that, look, they can raise more than enough money to get their message across to the whole country. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think there, there are two courts that matter for this fight, the court of public opinion and the court of legislatures, both state legislatures and the House and Senate. That's what the Constitution provides. It doesn't provide for a Supreme Court, doesn't provide for local courts. So what you've had is the lawyers, in a sense, hijacked the case, took it off into legalism, ended up in a series of, of places where what, what did they think was going to happen? I mean, you can't, it's very hard to go in and say to a judge, I'd like you to overturn the vote of 2 million or 5 million or 7 million people. Yeah. And judges are very reluctant to do well, that. Well, and clearly state legislatures uh, have been reluctant to do that as well. Right. And that's because I think they didn't make a compelling enough case. Look, I, I think, and I said this in a piece that I just wrote uh, at the Gingrich 360 uh, on, on why I won't give up. Uh, and I think in the larger fight, we have no choice except to fight. But part of, part of this is um, when you're in a fight in which all of these different elements of national power are opposed to you, you have to think in terms of a single, narrowly focused spearhead that drives through to the average American despite all the resistance and all the opposition. And I think that can't be done primarily as a lawyer's job. I think that mm -hmm. uh, this is much more of a public relations fight uh, because if you don't, when you start to move public opinion, mm -hmm. and you saw some of this happening, for example, in Arizona, uh, legislators began to respond. It's happened in Georgia. Legislators have been responding. But there's a real, I think, legitimate uh, unwillingness to uh, easily overturn what seemed to be the votes of millions of people. Mm -hmm. And uh, frankly, you and I would be appalled if, if they were willing to just go in willy-nilly. So the burden of proof here, I think, goes on the Trump team. And I don't think at this stage, mm -hmm. and I, look, I don't say this with any happiness, but sure. uh, I've had people who work for me spending virtually full time. I've reviewed all the case that's been developed by the Trump lawyers. Uh, and uh, it's, it's just, it's not yet convincing. Yeah, that, that you know, that, that's got to be hard for you to say, because you, you've had to kind of morph yourself through this process, because there's so much, quote, and I, I don't know if to put this in air quotes or not, but evidence out there. There's a lot of there a lot of irregularities. There's a, it seems like something is fishy going on, but you're saying that the connect the dots is just not there. Yeah, let me give an example that, I, that drives me personally crazy. Uh, Zuckerberg is a billionaire the equivalent of a Russian oligarch, uh, puts in $400 million to buy city governments. Now, first of all, I don't think anybody's done the work to find out, is that legal? Can Philadelphia contract privately with a billionaire to pay for their election? Second, uh, did he, in fact, violate federal law, which I think he did, mm -hmm. and, and which John Solomon has written about extensively, because... Uh, he was specifically going in to increase voter turnout in areas that had voted for Hillary Clinton and not going in to have the same opportunity to
to increase voter turnout in areas that have voted for Trump. Mm -hmm. That's a direct violation of a federal law which requires it to be fair and equal. Yet, I haven't seen anybody on the Trump team figure out how to file first an FEC complaint and second, uh, to, to demand uh, that, that we evaluate. We, we should know for every single state where he did it, how much money he gave to who. I mean, in one case, apparently, he paid a mayor $100,000 mm -hmm. personally to go out and recruit other mayors. Yeah. Well, is that legal? I mean, is a mayor allowed to take $100,000 from a millionaire? Yeah. So, 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 Newt. I, before we let you go, I, I wanted to touch on that op-ed that's making so many, so, so many headlines. You know how you will not accept Joe Biden uh, as president. Um, I'm assuming after hearing these comments, this isn't in contrast to what you're saying because you're talking about a bigger issue here moving forward. But help me square your op-ed with what you've just said here about the Trump legal team strategy. What, what I just said is the same. It's not contradictory. Right. I know. Uh, I I do not believe Joe Biden won a legitimate election. I do not believe the campaign was a legitimate campaign. I think when you have the Internet giants censoring the fourth largest newspaper in America and the oldest newspaper founded by Alexander Hamilton, the New York Post, when you have them censoring the president of the United States, when you have them censoring four out of five Rush Limbaugh um, uh, tweets, yeah. when you have Zuckerberg putting in $400 million to increase democratic turnout by literally renting governments. And you can go down a whole list of these things. When you have the day that, that Trump was sworn in, the Washington Post ran an article saying that thinking about impeaching him has already started. The day he's sworn in. Yeah. So my view is this entire thing is illegitimate, is a product of corruption, and that, that the Biden has the tainted fruit of potentially occupying the White House as somebody who achieved it only by the largest scale of corruption we've seen in a modern American campaign, in the totality of the campaign. Now, I said when I became speaker in a speech to the Heritage Foundation the Friday after the election, mm -hmm. I said that I would cooperate, but I would not compromise. So obviously, if Biden does, in fact, end up being inaugurated, he will be functionally the president. But in my judgment, he will not have the moral authority of somebody who would have won that in a fair race, in an honest election, and, and where the 74 million Trump voters ought to say, well, this was a fair game, and you're the winner. It wasn't a fair game. Right. It was a totally slanted game. And it was slanted against every American who wanted to conservatism, uh, not, not just Got slanted it. against Donald Trump. So that's where I stand. And so, but the bottom line, to tie it back to what you said at the beginning, in a wrap in about 15 seconds, you still have to make the, the, the court of public opinion argument to get there. If the court of public opinion decides that this is tainted, then on January 6th, you could have a, an amazing experience. But the American people have to get there before the politicians will get there. Newt Gingrich, a very Merry Christmas and really appreciate your time here on The Water Cooler. Thank you. Take care. So Newt Gingrich there, uh, to be clear, even though he does believe Joe Biden did not win a legitimate election, he does also believe that the Trump campaign has quite a bit to do the le from a legal standpoint to convince Americans that there was fraud in this election. We're backing him up. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way? 
Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome back to the uh, water cooler, everybody. Uh, We're going to talk the Constitution, uh, and you know who's coming up, Rick Green. But we'll get to that in a moment. Um, Look... Uh, Christmas is coming up, so I'm going to eat a lot, uh, and then New Year's is going to come, and I'm going to do nothing at all because it's COVID, and I'm just going to sit with a mask in my house, I guess. That's what they want me to do. And then uh, in January, January 6th is going to come, and then I'm going to take some Excedrin uh, and some Tums, possibly, because that's when things are going to get really interesting. Mike Pence is going to be like at the Academy Awards, the envelope, please, and he's going to read these electoral votes. And what in the world's going to happen? Let's bring in Rick Green, America's Constitution coach, uh, back with us on the show. Rick, always good to see you, sir. David, you too, man. Merry Christmas a couple days early. Yeah, Merry Christmas. I buried the lead. I didn't even even wish you Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Rick. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Uh, All right, look, uh, where where are we at here? We talked about January 6th. Um, These legislatures, I don't know. I, I see no hope with them. I mean, I know in Pennsylvania and other places, they're trying. But if the leadership in these state legislatures are not going to step up to the plate, you know, I know that's what the Trump legal team wants to do, but I, I don't see it happen. What's, what's your sense, Rick? I think you're right, man. We've been calling for it since uh, the week after the election, uh, writing about it, calling for it, saying, look, you guys do your job. The, the founders entrusted you with this power. We, the people, entrusted you with this power. We want the state legislators to be the most powerful public servants in the country uh, because they're closer to us. And that's why both this power to choose electors, to have an Article 5 convention, all of these powers rest with the state legislators. And what a terrible dereliction of duty that where it's clear that the election was stolen in their states, either by unconstitutional uh, breaking of the rules ahead of time by the secretaries of state and governors, or even by the fraud. But in either case, they needed to step up and do their job. There's a few days left to do it. Don't see it happening, as you point out. And same with the courts. I don't know if the courts are going to do their job. So it all comes down to January 6th. You're going to need to exercise a lot after the 6th because you're going to eat so much popcorn so fast as you're watching <laughs> what's going to happen on January 6th that you got to burn that butter off when you're all done. Yeah, well, let me get to January 6th in a moment. But first, I want to talk to you about the Insurrection Act, because that seems I don't want to say divided MAGA nation or Trump folks, but there are some people there's two schools of thought, you know, kind of go there and do this in some sort of limited form. And there's talk about I mean, there it is. This is what the uh, Insurrection Act says. Whenever the president considers that unlawful obstructions, combinations or assemblages uh, or rebellion against the authority of the United States, make it impractical to enforce the uh, laws of the United States. And then, it, then at the end, it says uh, to enforce those laws or to suppress the rebellion. Uh, I asked Jenna Ellis about this Trump legal team. Um, she's on the Trump legal team, as you know. This is what she said about the Insurrection Act. While the administration of elections, of course, is within the province of the judiciary, it's not a political uh, sort of contemplation. This is about making sure that the Supreme Court, which ultimately are the judges, uh, make people follow the rules. That's uh, that's just something that's part of law and order in this country. But when you get into things like the Insurrection Act, what that's asking uh, President Trump to do is to take the military and go and seize assets in state sovereignties. Um, there are a variety of reasons that I don't think that that is a particularly constitutional solution. And certainly, um, I would not advise that uh, the American people want that ultimately as the solution here because of the precedent that it would set. 
Rick, what's your take? I mean, Jenna Ellis is one of the biggest uh, Trump supporters out there, and but this is a bit controversial. What's your take? You know, I'm a fan of Jenna. I think she's a brilliant, brilliant attorney. She's uh, served the president incredibly well. I'm going to agree and disagree. I, I, I agree. Uh, well, let me disagree first. I do think the Insurrection Act is a constitutional solution that can be called upon. It's the political side of the Insurrection Act that I think makes this a bad move for the president right now. For the same reason, you know, I did a video earlier this year educating folks on the Insurrection Act because of what was happening in Portland and Seattle. 20 times they've been invoked. Uh, George Washington invoked the Insurrection Act in, 19, in, in uh, 1794 with the Whiskey Rebellion. So there's two clauses of the Constitution that set up the Insurrection Act. There's been 12 different presidents that have used them. Uh, in our modern times, uh, we saw Eisenhower do that to escort the Little Rock Nine in. Um, we saw you know, Johnson use it. Uh, we saw uh, Bush 41 use it. So it can be used. Uh, the problem is that I don't think the support is there within even these states among Republicans. I mean, if these legislators won't peaceably do their job, Republican legislators, won't peaceably do their job. I'm afraid the president would be on his own in taking this kind of action. So yeah. as much as I hate what is happening, I tend to agree with her. That would not be the right call for how to handle this. Um, now, granted, we, we still have January 6th. As you said, we'll get to that in a second. Um, and after that, he's still got 14 days to try to correct the stealing of this election. Well, but when you're split down the middle in the country like this, you got to really weigh whether or not to take uh, that drastic of an action here. I want to give you ample time to answer this. About a minute and a half I'll have for this, uh, Rick. Uh, what is that plan that if the courts are not uh, helping out here, the state legislatures are AWOL, uh, the Insurrection Act probably politically not good, then what? You mentioned the 14 days from the 6th to the 20th. I mean, what, what's, what kind of options does he really have left at that point? Well, it, without Congress, without some help from some members of Congress, I don't think uh, it makes any sense for him uh, to take action at, the, at that point. But there are good signs right now. There are several members of Congress saying they will object, some senators hinting at it. Um, as I've said on your show before, any senator or congressman that does not object to these states that clearly, clearly had their elections totally uh, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, ruined by the actions of their elected officials and by the, the theft that took place, any congressman or senator that does not object is saying, I'm okay with the lawlessness of states not following the Constitution, not following their state constitutions, not following their state law, and not following the U.S. Constitution. So it's it's up to some senators and congressmen to come alongside the president here and say, we're going to object. I do think, you know, and, I, and I've been looking into this on, on what Mike Pence could do as, as VP, as president of the Senate. And when you get away from the federal law that is so confusing that was written to try to manage how this takes place, and you go straight to the Constitution itself, I mean, he does have authority that day. It's the it's the president of the Senate that receives those ballots, that counts those ballots. So you could have an unprecedented thing here. You know, I've said on your show for weeks, everything that's happened up to this point is not unprecedented. It's happened in America before, 1876, all those elections before. We've refused electoral votes many, many times yeah. from states. But what Vice President Pence could do could be unprecedented, not unconstitutional, just unprecedented, and uh, and I don't know how that's being wargamed out in the White House, but I think they should at least consider that. you got to use the power that you've been given. Republicans are so wimpy when it comes to this kind of stuff. Well, we tend to not want to play hardball. They need to play hardball in this case to save the nation. I've got 10 seconds, Rick, but what are you saying? What could he do then in, in 10 seconds, roughly? <laughs> I, I think he personally could reject those ballots and say, look, the, I'm not okay. going to count ballots that are so in question. I'm going to do the same thing we've done in past years. 
and maybe not even put it to the vote of, of the House and Senate at that point. Let them count the ones that are not in dispute. And in that case, nobody gets the 270 and it'll be the House of Representatives. Oh, my that goodness. All right. That's a whole bottle of Excedrin. Uh, Rick Green. <laughs> and thanks. popcorn. Don't forget popcorn. M M Merry Christmas, brother. I got to run. You're the best. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Uh, look, the COVID-19 relief bill, uh, Congress uh, came to a, an agreement. Congratulations. And then wah, wah, wah. Donald Trump, the president of the United States, said, you know what? Not a big fan. Uh, I think we need more stimulus money in there in terms of the checks for uh, individuals. And oh, by the way, what in the world else is in this bill? Uh, here's the president. Congress started negotiations on a new package to get urgently needed help to the American people. It's taken forever. However, the bill they are now planning to send back to my desk is much different than anticipated. It really is a disgrace. For example, among the more than 5,000 pages in this bill, which nobody in Congress has read because of its length and complexity, it's called the COVID relief bill, but it has almost nothing to do with COVID. This bill contains $85.5 million for assistance to Cambodia, $134 million to Burma, $1.3 billion for Egypt and the Egyptian military, which will go out and buy almost exclusively Russian military equipment, $25 million for democracy and gender programs in Pakistan, $505 million to Belize, Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala. And he goes on and on. He doesn't like it. Burma. I love how he says Burma. Anyhow, let's bring in Rick Manning, uh, the president of Americans for Limited Government, uh, who probably has a few things to say about what's tucked inside this bill. Uh, Rick, uh, good to see you, sir. Thank you for having me, David. Well, what do you make of what the president is saying? He's listing a whole bunch of stuff that is tucked away, not just inside the COVID relief bill, but uh, the overall stimulus package. It's like $1.4 or something along those lines. Yeah, well, let's, let's just, first of all, there are two bills that, that emerge. So we're talking about the same bill, but they actually have two different functions. There's a COVID relief package, and then there is the bill that makes it so the government doesn't shut down and is funded for the rest of the rest of the fiscal year through September 30th. So a lot of those things that he's talking about were actually in the section that wasn't dealing specifically with COVID, but instead we're dealing with just keeping the government running. Doesn't make them any less absurd. They are absurd and they were in the same bill. So he's correct in what he says. But the let me just bring up a, a couple of these because it's really crazy. You know, they're putting millions into the Kennedy Center again. And what people remember that back in one of the original COVID relief bills, the Kennedy Center got a whole bunch of money again then. And so apparently um, the Kennedy Center needs to be propped up when for elites here in D.C. But this but small businesses are being destroyed by governor policies that shut down the country. Well, not so much for them. 
Um, so we've got a lot of things like that where you take a look and you say, what the heck are they thinking about? And it's really hard to reconcile the normal, the pork that's been placed into this bill uh, with any deal, with any kind of uh, real responsible governance. So, Rick, here's what I don't understand. And maybe uh, millions of Americans are thinking the same thing. Why don't they just do two separate bills? I mean, I, I, I get the fact that you've got to get the stimulus bill or I said the stimulus bill, the uh, the government funding bill done. Uh, but why not do uh, an extension that they're doing and do that separate? With, and uh, there's pork in all of these bills every single year. But the COVID-19 stuff, why can't that just be done separate? It seems like it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, I, well, I strongly suspect the reason that it wasn't done separate is because uh, the Pelosi and, and Pelosi wouldn't agree to what the Senate wanted to do with it, and she had to have so she combined it um, in the House, and so that our yeah. basically one side or the other had to combine it, and it was a in order to get it passed, and that's the way they do a lot of things in Washington D.C. You get a lot of disparate uh, ideas all shoved into the same bill because you're basically catering to different constituencies. Yeah. And in the Senate, they have a unique problem in that they have to get eight Democrats to pass anything. And it's very likely that in order to get the eight Democrats, they had to put things like money for the Kennedy Center and the like, because that's a constituency that the Democrats play to. And, you know, David, I can't I can't emphasize enough the fact that this this Congress is willing to pass legislation that benefits the elites by giving money to the Kennedy Center, which only benefits the elites. And then on the other hand, they really ignore what's going on in the country and, and the need, the real need for businesses and for uh, people who are losing their jobs and will lose their jobs as the economy begins to turn downward as California, New York and Illinois uh, go to draconian shutdowns. Rick, what's the position uh, with you guys over there regarding these stimulus checks? I mean, it was six hundred dollars. The president wants more. Two thousand. Um, that doesn't seem to comport with limited government, uh, but at the same time, people need relief. So how do you kind of balance the two? That that's, can be difficult, yeah? Yeah, it is. Um, I will tell you, the compelling thing about the COVID package for me is the the program that, that we know works. It saves jobs by helping small businesses stay alive um, during the, uh, as governments are shutting them down. Yeah. That's what matters. That's the part of it that I, I like. I, I'm not a big fan of just sending people money. Um, because, you know, ultimately they're taking your money and then they're going to send you back a small part of it. That just seems stupid to me. Um, if you wanted to do something that was uh, real, then end the, end the payroll tax for a certain period of time and allow people to keep their money that they normally would send into the government rather than have the government collect it and then send it back. There's a lot of people uh, on social media and other places in Trump nation saying, Mr. President, do not sign this bill. He doesn't want to sign it but they're telling him not to sign it. What's your sense of what McConnell and those folks will do now in the Senate? And what about the House? Where do you think this is going ultimately? Well, that's a great question. The, the fact is the president doesn't even have the bill yet to right. review it. Um, it'll take probably till the 27th for him to have the bill. And what a lot of people don't realize is that any bill that is not signed or vetoed, vetoed and then overridden by January 2 go, is dead. And so the president has a lot of cards on this table that he's got a lot of aces in terms of being able to say, I'm not signing this bill unless you change this, 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 and this, and effectively have what a line item veto because he could just sit on it, never have to veto it, and the bill's dead on January 3. Yeah, you think that's where this could be headed, though? I mean, I guess we'll see. We don't know. 
I think the, this president is an expert at using leverage to get what he wants. And I strongly suspect he'll use every bit of leverage he has to force Congress to make changes that he think are, thinks are appropriate. Yeah, he wrote a book called The Art of the Deal. I remember it. Or as he points it out to everybody, it's the bestseller ever, except for the Bible, he says, by the way. <laughs> All right. Rick Manning, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Hey, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. Merry Christmas, David. And have a great uh, a great holiday. And try to, try to loosen up, okay? Okay. Oh, speaking of what a great transition. Speaking of loosening up, I think I'll do that. Maybe not just mentally, but physically as well. Uh, Madison, uh, our producer, is going to join me in a moment on the extravagant set uh, here at the water cooler where we're going to have some holiday exercises to get kind of limbered up. Seeing What am I doing? Back in a moment. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Look where I am uh, with Madison, uh, the Water Cooler producer. Say hello, Madison. Hello, everybody. How are you, you don't David? Have a, you don't have a last name. It's just Madison. It's just Madison. Just oh, Madison. Boy. We're here because we're going to do some uh, exercises for the holidays. This will be exciting. I'm so excited. We've had... Adjusting yourself right I know. Now? I'm not... I'm normally behind the scenes. This is new for me. Okay. Coming out, but right. anywho. Well, you, you work on that. Uh, let's bring in Dr. Heather Moore, a physical therapist, who's going to talk to us about Santa strain and some of the exercises you can do to help prevent some of that during the holiday season. Uh, Dr. Moore, great to see you there. Great to see you. Thanks for having me on. Well, tell us Happy a little holidays. bit about, yeah, tell us, you too. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas. Tell me a little bit about uh, Santa strain. Explain the term, first of all. Right. Sure. So Santa strain is what we see around the holidays, an increase in more stress-related injuries. A lot of confusion comes in when we use the term injury because people always want to refer to something they did. And they want to have an, a specific incident that caused them pain. And what we see around the holidays is there's not a specific incident that causes you pain. It's the stress. It's sitting and wrapping presents for hours that's going to cause neck pain. It's increased time this year on iPads and communication devices. So it's not, you know, we use the term Santa strain. And it's more of a long-term injury that comes to light more over the holidays. But I use the word injury, and everyone always wants to think about sometime they injure themselves, when in fact, it's, it's a buildup that just all of a sudden breaks at the holidays. All right. Well, uh, Dr. Moore, take us through this. Madison, you ready to go? I'm ready to go. Are you ready to go? <laughs> I'm re you're so excited about that. I'm I've ex been so excited <laughs> for Dr. Moore to be on this show all week. Take it away, Dr. Moore. Okay, I'm there you go. I'm super excited to be here, so thank you so much. Go all ahead. Right, so we're going to start with neck circles. I'm putting this mic down. One of the things down. that you want to make sure you do every day is take each of your body parts through range of motion. So this can be done in the neck, in the hip, wherever. But you want to really start by just taking your neck through as big of circles as you can make. And ideally, you're getting bigger with each circle. You want to do about five in each direction and then go the opposite direction. If you feel like you have pain, don't go as big in the circle. Just kind of back off a little bit. But it's really important that you open up every joint every day. And this is, we're going to do a couple uh, with our upper body to get you started on that. All right, so the next exercise you're going to do is just shoulder range of motion. So you're just going to kind of make a backstroke with your arm. 
Okay, so just circle with your arms. Yep. Again, if you add shoulder pain, like Madison mentioned before, you may not go as big in your circles, and that's okay. But you want to try each time to get a little bit bigger as you go around. You want to go five backwards on each side, and then we're going to actually change direction and go five forward on each side. None of this should hurt. This should feel pretty comfortable. So obviously if it does hurt, there's something we need to address or there's something that you might want to just back off and not make the circle as big. But it's really important that you take every one of your joints through this type of routine every day. Okay, the next one we're going to do is uh, rolling our shoulders. So one of the biggest problems that people have is they walk around like this with their shoulders up towards their ears, okay? And that's what a lot causes a lot of problems, especially on the holidays. You walk around and your, your shoulders are up like this. You get very used to having your shoulders up there, so it feels natural. So what you want to do is you want to roll your shoulders up, back, and just drop them down. All right, you want to repeat this about 10 times. This is going to set your shoulders where they should be. This is an exercise that I recommend doing every hour just to check where your posture is. So many people get into the posture of, where they're slumped forward and they're in this rounded posture and it really causes uh, herniated discs. It causes neck pain. It causes shoulder pain. So doing this every hour just to loosen everything up is highly recommended. So oh, once yeah. you've done 10 of those, now we're going to go into a neck stretch. So again, super gentle neck stretch. You can start by dropping your head to one side. You may or may not feel a stretch. That's okay. If you don't, you're going to Put your hand up on your head. If you feel a stretch just like this, this is where you want to stick. Now, if you want to bring your hand up on your head and push it a little bit further so you feel a bigger stretch. Other hand, oh, put your God. hands. There you Perfect. Now you're good. I don't want to mess up my hair. I know. I'm an anchor. I know. I have the same problem. And then you can switch to the other side. Okay. Any sort of stretch like this, we recommend holding 30 seconds and doing about six on each side. Because we're limited in time, we're not going to do that, but that's what we recommend doing. Dr. Moore, I feel like Okay, now we're going to do something to open up the front of our chest. Hang on one second. Because we're Madison always has in a this type of... I have a quick oh, question yeah, for you. Sure. I feel that in my shoulder. Why is that? So what happens is your neck muscles basically go from here down. So you're going to be pulling on your shoulder when you pull on the neck. So anything that we're doing that involves the neck automatically brings in the shoulder into play. So it's not uncommon for you to feel that into your shoulder. If it's painful, you want to back off and not stretch as deeply, but if it feels good, then keep that stretch up. Right. And awesome. if you feel a really good stretch, it's something you need to be doing. All right. Perfect. About Thank a you. minute or so, minute and a half left. Okay. So we're going to go into one of our stretches for the front of our chest. And then we're actually going to take this into a back stretch also. So I'm going to turn to the side. You want to put your hands just on the on your back. Put your palms on your hands. Yep. And then you're just going to look up at the ceiling and open your chest up and lean back as far as you can. All right. And then just come up nice and easy. And then you're going to repeat. To get a bigger stretch in the front of your chest, you want to try and touch your elbows in the back. But if you're feeling a stretch, leave it right there. Again, stretches are not designed to hurt. It's not a no pain, no gain situation. So just feel good with the stretch across your chest. And then just kind of adding that back arch in there gives your back a little bit of stretch. 
take either one of those components out. If your back is sore when you're doing that, don't do the back extension. If, you're, if your shoulders are sore, don't do the shoulder extension. So right. either one of those is good to go just by themselves. All right. All right. And then we have, do we have time for one more? Or we got we good? Tw yeah, 25 seconds. Go ahead. 25 seconds. Okay. Oh, we'll just, we'll just add on one that we already did. So we're going to pull our head to the side. And this time you're going to want to drop your head down towards the floor. So you're going to feel that stretch more in the back of your neck going all the way down your upper back. So, pull, yep, pull it forward. Excellent. Good job. Oh, you good. also can feel this stretch by putting your arms out in front of you right. and pushing your arms forward and dropping your head. That's going to get that back stretched out a little bit. I'm yep, doing this. Perfect. I love Madison, it. got it. Nice job. Dr. Moore. Routine you can go through. That is, th thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. I hope everybody was trying that at home. Thank so you so it. much. Have a great holiday. All the best to you. Okay, uh, Madison, I think the next segment will both be on ice for the next segment. How's that sound? Sounds pretty good. All right, I'll be on ice. Back in a moment. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Time now for the last sip. Uh, we love this segment because uh, we just like to have a little fun. But it's newsy fun. I mean, there's always a news peg, kind of. I mean, let's be honest. It's like a 10% news peg, and it's like 90% shtick. Uh, but uh, we still enjoy it. Uh, so Michael DiCarlo, remember him? He's the four-year-old uh, who was <laughs> he went to Illinois in the small. I'm laughing because it's really not funny. Uh, he went to a mall in Illinois. All he wanted for Christmas was a Nerf gun. So he goes to the mall Santa, and the mall Santa says, sorry, kid, you can't get the Nerf gun. Sorry, guns. You just, you're not allowed to have a gun. That's what he tells the four-year-old kid. So, so Michael DiCarlo, the four-year-old, cries to his parents. Oh, he's in tears, the whole thing. Anyhow, they fired the mall Santa, by the way. That's the update on that. But then the NRA comes in and says, the National Rifle Association, and says, you know what? Michael DiCarlo, we're going to do something pretty special for you. Not one Nerf gun. Take a look. Mean Santa, they want to give me a Nerf gun for Christmas. No, no guns. Nerf guns. No, not even a Nerf gun. Santa! Michael! The North Pole doesn't need any commies. <laughs> 
I love how Santa just collapses on the bed. Boom! Santa is gone. Good thing it wasn't Rudolph, according to our executive producer, Dan. Uh, imagine if it was Rudolph. The people for the ethical treatment of animals would have a, uh, I don't know how to spell this word, a conniption. Uh, for sure. Uh, but but it was Santa. So good thing. How do I say this? Good thing that Santa's dead, not Rudolph. Uh, I don't know if that really makes any sense. But the bottom line is uh, Michael got his Nerf gun. He got plenty of Nerf guns. And the NRA got some promotion uh, thanks to that video. And of course, thanks to us because uh, we just thought it was kind of neat. All right. We're back in a moment with, uh, I don't know, more show. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. All right. Uh, before we end the show, we've got to uh, check in with some of the news of the day. And I, I, there was a great news story out there, but let's get to it with Daniel Payne uh, with JustTheNews.com. Uh, always, always a, a wealth of information. Daniel, thanks for being here and uh, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Dave, Merry Christmas to you. It's uh, always good to be here. Well, uh, the Drudge Report, we've known it for many years, uh, but it seems to have taken uh, a downward turn here a little bit. Talk to us about this. Yeah, so um, what, what we uh, what we saw this week was that the uh, left-leaning uh, website Mediaite actually rated Matt Drudge, who founded the Drudge Report. It's named after him. They rated him uh, number two most influential in the news for 2020. And the reason they did that was because they said that uh, he had an outsized influence on the election, uh, that his uh, well-publicized turn against uh, President Trump over the last uh, two years, maybe 18 months, uh, very likely uh, uh, may have cost Trump the election. So uh, what what that rating was reflective of certainly was uh, was something that many of us in the media have been aware of for a while, which is that Drudge, uh, you know, whose fame goes back several decades, who's famous for breaking the Monica Lewinsky scandal, and who uh, has been, you know, a very uh, a prominent figure uh, in uh, conservative journalism for so long really took a sharp turn against uh, Trump and, by extension, the Republican Party in the White House this year. So it was, a, it was a very surprising shift. Yeah, and I understand that some of the ratings, I mean, some of his traffic has been down since then. Yeah, I mean, his core reader base is conservatives. Conservatives go there, they consume the news. Uh, a lot of conservative news gets, gets put up on there. And his numbers, apparently, are, are significantly down. Uh, industry uh, analyses indicate that uh, in August, for example, uh, his ratings were down uh, over 40% from the prior year. And we spoke to a source with, with pretty strong uh, knowledge of what goes on at the Drudge Report. And he said the numbers have continued that downward slide into the winter. So certainly Drudge's tonal shift over the last several months uh, has not gone unnoticed by his core readership, many of whom have yeah. left him for other websites. Yeah, that is not surprising. Uh, when I say not surprising, I mean Donald, or I said Donald Trump, <laughs> Matt Drudge for sure uh, is a muckraker uh, more than anything else. He likes to mix it up uh, for sure. So Daniel, I really appreciate your time. Once again, happy holidays. Merry Christmas to you, sir. Thanks, Dave, for having me. You too. All right. Uh, Daniel Payne with the, I like to call it the mystery closet behind him. We never quite know what's in that closet. Uh, I kind of feel, you know what, should we put the email up? dbrody at justthenews.com, dbrody at justthenews.com. If you can guess what's behind Daniel Payne's closet, see you tomorrow. It's Christmas Eve. <laughs>